Hello. Welcome to Altered States of Context, a podcast about psychedelics, science, and psychotherapy. On this show, we'll talk about the uneasy fit between a medicalized view of individual mental illness and a psychedelic view of suffering and change, and we'll explore many of the possibilities, opportunities, and pitfalls that emerge from this union. In addition, we'll keep it weird and talk about some of the aspects of psychedelic experiencing that make it so interesting, fun, and transformative. All right, welcome back to Altered States of Context. This is part two of a two-part discussion Brian and I had about acceptance and commitment therapy and how the process-based approach to psychotherapy is a particularly good fit with psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. We'll talk about the core processes of ACT and how ACT's view of human suffering is such a good fit with psychedelic practice. Enjoy. two act processes have to do with moving towards a more meaningful life. And so there's this concept of values in act. Nate, how would you describe what values are? Well, you know, first of all, it's a little bit, you know, we kind of have to embrace a little bit of paradox here because, you know, we just got done uh, talking about how uh, we really want to distance ourselves from language and, and, and seeing language as being distinct from that to which it refers. So you have the map and then the territory. And what we're trying to do is see that those aren't exactly the same thing, right? Um, and then when we talk about values though, we're actually trying to harness language in a way. You know, we're trying to sort of verbally construct meaningful ways of acting in the world, right? And the, that really, really connect to a process that isn't verbal, but we're using, we're trying to use the power of language to kind of tickle that part of us. So, so we have some, some paradoxical use of language here. You know, it's, it's something that we want to kind of keep our distance from, but at the same time, it's the tool we've got, like it's our, it, it is our predominant tool. And so we, we have to use it very carefully. So with values, you know, we're talking about verbally constructed sort of symbolic representations of that, which is most important in our lives. Right. And so the best way to access it isn't necessarily, especially when you're exploring values, isn't necessarily to just start thinking about it but it is to sort of like recognize really, you know, what matters most and the sorts of processes, ways of being in the world in which, you know, you feel most, uh, most engaged, most alive. Uh, you know, in my practice, when, when I'm talking about this with people, I'm really looking, you know, I always introduce a few words as sort of jumping off points. You know, I talk about things that, uh, well, first of all, I, I often ask people, you know, like, well, what would you do if you woke up and you were going to do something today just for the hell of it, for no other reason than the hell of it, just because, you know? Um, so instead of trying to construct some sort of rational reason why it would be a good idea to do X or a good idea to do Y, what would you do just for the hell of it? Just because you're alive, you know? What are things that you find to be beautiful? What are things that move you? What, 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 what causes you to have a sense of awe? awe? What causes your heart to sort of overflow uh, with emotion, with love, with caring? Uh, when do you feel connected? 
so we're really tapping into emotion and that sense of connection to uh, other people, I think often to our world, the environment, to activities that we just really enjoy. And so there's like a process of connection. And in that process of connection, that's where we find that, you know, that spark that what we refer to as values, like this is what makes me tick. And it's very hard to get at that when you're just really analytically looking at it, you know, you kind of have to get into sort of these more touchy feely words of like, yeah, beauty and awe and wonder, curiosity is a, is a wonderful place to follow. You know, what do you just wonder about? Again, I, I often like to use the phrase just for the hell of it, right? Because in a way I'm trying to short circuit that part of our brain that's constructing everything. Well, I do this because of that. And this is in like the, the real logical sequential, I'm trying to sort of circuit that by like, well, let's just throw that away. And just for the sheer hell of it, you're alive, you're a human being on the planet. So, you know, what would you do just because? What did you like to do when you were a child? What were you really drawn to when you were a child? And so you're kind of, we're, we're, it, it's a really delicate dance, I think, to try to use words and language to get at a process that is fundamentally just about our our deepest experience of love and being in the world. So that that's sort of how I think about values. Um, anything that you would like to add or elaborate on with that? one thing I love about ACT or one of the reasons why it resonated more with me than say traditional CBT is, is its focus on values as opposed to say symptom reduction. So clients come to us struggling with depression or anxiety. And from an ACT perspective, we see a lot of the suffering as a result of their inflexible attempts to manage their own emotions, to feel better, to feel good. And in general, in the act perspective, when we are on board with an agenda to just feel good all the time, we're probably not mm-hmm. living our lives in a way that's meaningful. So instead of uh, focusing on symptom reduction, uh, helping people say feel less anxious or feel less depressed, the question shifts a bit into, well, if that anxiety and depression went away, what would you be doing with your life? And then whatever mm-hmm. the answer to that question is, the response is, well, what what would it be like to start doing that now? Let's maybe not wait for this imagined destination where you're free of anxiety or you're free of depression. And let's see, what would it be like? Would you be willing to try that? And so I think one of the powerful advantages of psychedelics is they can help us connect with our values. So some clients, uh, they don't know what matters to them. They, they've lost touch with that. They, they're just, life as a way of pulling us into habits and routines and jobs and relationships that may not be working so much and we can lose track of what really matters. Some clients do know what matters, but they, they don't know how to get there. So psychedelics can really help clarify what's most important. They have a kind of a way of distilling through a lot of the stuff that we then look back later and say, well, that's that's really not so important. Like you said, Nate, what's really important is, are my relationships or my family or learning or growing or whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. And to tie this, you know, from an episode or two ago, you know, when I was talking about, we both talked about our own sort of uh, on-ramp into sort of this realm. And I remember at the time in my life when I was... I was in college and, you know, kind of, you know, really involved in hedonic sort of pursuits. And I remember really clearly 
having psychedelic experiences and kind of just looking at that and, and really seeing like, that's not important. That's not what I want my life to be about. I don't want to just be chasing one good feeling after another. Like that's not important. You know, what's important is like, I have these really wonderful friends and I have this family and, and you know, you notice, I noticed the world around me much more closely. Like I wasn't so distracted by my own feelings and like not wanting to feel bad or not wanting to feel anxious or pursuing, wanting to feel really, really good. And instead I just noticed around me, I could just look around me and see like, this world is a cool place. It's fascinating. It's so interesting. There's so much to learn. So for me personally, it tied so tightly to curiosity. It opened, it reopened uh, like avenues of curiosity that had become deadened uh, over, over the years. And it just, anything could be fascinating, like fa endlessly fascinating. And, and that, that curiosity that was unbounded became a real guide for me. I just like, just wanted to know, not be, not, not in a compulsive way, but just in this really like, isn't it cool to see, um, how a spider spins a web? Isn't it cool to see, you know, how trees grow, just things that are mundane that you don't notice, you notice it. And then you find not only is it cool, but it's connected to the entirety of the web of life. And that is a beautiful, beautiful sense. And really, I think puts into, puts us in our place in the best possible way. You know, instead of me worried about and concerned about the ups and downs of my mood in a given day, you know, I can contextualize it differently and see myself as part of a whole. And then when I that 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 completely, I think reconfigures a person's values when you look at it that way. It completely reconfigures your values. Not not that I'm saying is that it dictates your values, but when you when when you have that experience of seeing yourself as part of a whole, it 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 just shifts what's important. To me, that's how psychedelics so beautifully um, work with values is they connect you. And that's a very uh, important kind of like an antidote to the materialist worldview that our culture in the U.S. and in other countries is you know, surrounded in values that have to do with individualism and materialism and consumption. You know, very clearly psychedelics have a way of kind of dismantling them. And what, what shines through are you know, you hear these same kinds of reports, people who, who have powerful psychedelic experiences, like, I realize I need to treat my body better. I realize I need to eat well. You know, I realize I've, I've been neglecting my friends in my life. I realize I want to be more connected to nature somehow, or I want to give back to the community, or I want to give back to the world in some way. Um, these are the kinds of things that are very common. And one of the cool things about the clinical trials is they they measure, they asked in a survey of uh, several of them did this, where they asked participants afterwards, you know, how meaningful was your psychedelic experience? I think this was mostly in, in regards to psilocybin from what I can remember. And uh, the majority of, of the participants rated the psychedelic experiences one of the most meaningful, like the top five in their lives, up there with their wedding or the birth of their kids. And so there's this potential here for experiences that can really help reorient us to what matters when the, the, natural, the natural gravitational pull in our culture is 
to make that more confusing for us or makes it hard for us to see clearly what matters. You know, I just want to echo and highlight and underline, you know, what you just said, because I think, you know, if you're not uh, familiar uh, with uh, psychedelic culture, psychedelic medicine, what you just said, I think is kind of a staggering thing, which is that people rate often the psychedelic experience is one of the most meaningful experiences of their life and up there with marriage, wedding, birth of children. You know, when you just say that, and if somebody has no familiarity with this territory, that must just sound staggeringly, like it must sound crazy, but it's consistent. That's a consistent report from many, many people who have this experience is, is, is ranking it in that realm of meaning. And that ties directly to what we've been describing as a shift in the way we see ourselves in the world uh, and a shift in the way we value our lives and our participation in life. Um, so I, I think you just that that's a that's a very staggering sort of fact report that people say that. And I think um, you and I, who are pretty well immersed in this literature and this experience and this culture can skim over that even sometimes. Uh, I don't know about you, but I know that I can. It's just, you know, it's just, oh yeah, 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 that's a thing. But trying to step back from that. And, and if that's, that, that's a really amazing thing that it, 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 that people say it's that significant. Anyway, I just wanted to put a good exclamation point on that. Yeah, that's a good point. I think we can easily take that for granted. Uh, and I, I imagine, too, as you're saying that, Nate, I imagine for some folks that might sound scary, you know, to have mm -hmm. this drug experience that is so powerful, it changes your life. That that might sound a little off-putting to, to folks, especially um, folks who like to be in control of things, which I can relate to and I'm very guilty of at times. So mm -hmm. the, the thing about about these experiences that when people look back on them, you know, it's not like when you get drunk and you say some stuff that you think is brilliant in the moment, but then the next day you look back and you're like, oh man, I can't believe I said that. Sometimes maybe there's moments of brilliance, but with psychedelics, there's, there's not that people who have these powerful experiences, they don't look back and say, oh, that was just a drug or I was just high. There's something sacred or there's something that is lasting or real about those experiences that's hard to describe if you're unfamiliar with them. Yeah, I think that's, um, I guess I would add or maybe amend that a little bit because I think that's where, you know, we can talk a little bit about integration comes in so heavily uh, because I do think actually that fades for some people. If you're taking this and you have this experience, I knew people, you know, in college for sure. And I've known people since who, you know, they have that experience and maybe they had it once or twice when they were younger. And it's sort of like was maybe really interesting to them, but they, they, you know, they weren't in a community that supported that. Right. And so I think gradually when that happens, you can come to see it as just like, well, that was that crazy trip I had. That was really weird. It was, you know, like that. But if you're in a context that sort of supports, mm -hmm. you know, and takes it seriously, it sort of allows you to access the richness of that for longer and in a deeper way. Does that make sense? Does that, does that fit your experience? Oh, absolutely. I, I am a huge proponent of integration as being, as important as the experience itself. So it's really important for, uh, for us to, to highlight that 
just having that experience is it isn't automatically going to result in transformation. And that's a good segue into our last act process, committed action, which is um, the, the act process that is mostly focused on behavior change and moving one towards values. And change is hard for humans. I'm sure everyone can relate to failing at New Year's resolutions or diets or exercise programs. It is just part of our nature that making change is hard. So psychedelics can create this window of clarity where our values are more, you know, we're able to contact them more directly. But integration, as Nate mentioned, is, is a term that's used to refer to what you do afterwards to carry forth those insights or perspectives into your life. And because ACT is a behavioral therapy, it has a lot of tools already for helping people make change uh, in their lives, whether it's change that's been inspired by psychedelics or for any other reason. Yes, it does. And those tools are, I think, ones that just kind of readily make themselves useful. Um, when we talk about this, how do you... So first, you know, we have these experiences, you know, and maybe uh, something that would be, to quote what we were just talking about, among the most exper- uh, most important of our lives. Well, then how do you conceptualize that? You know, how do you take that and then without cheapening it, you know, because I think that that can happen too. It's like, oh, well, now I have some words for it and I put it in this little box, you know, so to keep the, op- you know, your openness to the experience that you had, but then direct it, you know, like allow it to inform the decisions that I'm going to make. Because, you know, if I had this real experience of love for the people in my life, you know, then how do I make that tangible in my life? You know, when I'm no longer having a psychedelic experience, you know, in the days, weeks, months, years afterwards. And that's when we kind of have those verbally constructed values. You know, what's important to me is loving relationships with friends and family, And then those committed actions are basically ways in which I serve those values. It's the manner in which I serve those values. And and so that would be a more direct, behavioral, measurable commitment, right? That's that's the C in acceptance commitment therapy. It's a it's a measurable direct commitment to serve. Um, serve our values, serve what's important to us. You know, so it might be to make sure that, you know, I'm going to be really clear about, you know, I need to talk to my parents more, for instance, or I need to make sure that, you know, instead of I need to put the phone down, you know, in the evening and just be with my family instead of being distracted or fill in the blank, you know, just like direct ways that serve the insights into our own values that we sort of connect with. Right. That's a great example. Like I want to be on my phone less that might reflect a value. So committed action would help provide some structure to how are you going to do that? What's the plan? Right. As a behavioral therapist, I'm very familiar with, okay, well, let's make a plan. Like, do we limit the time of day? Do we have you put your phone in the, in the drawer? Um, so, so some of those things might seem obvious, but uh, that sort of mindset of thinking from a behavioral perspective can be really helpful in uh, increasing the probability that someone will commit to and stick with some desired change that they want to make. There, there's, a, there's a great book title that I always love to quote. It's by Jack Cornfield, who's a well-known Buddhist leader. 
Uh, and the book title is After the Ecstasy, the Laundry. And he was talking mo- mostly about kind of Buddhist or, or, you know, meditative experiences, I think. But people who have powerful, transformative experiences, then you've got to go back to your life. And that can be really hard, actually. So while you um, are more in touch with your values or have great clarity about how you want to live your life, everyone, nothing else has changed, maybe. Like your, your family is still the same. Your job is still the same. And so from a contextual perspective, you know, we know that what we think of ourselves is really the product of our identities interacting with our environment. And so the gravitational pull over time, as Nate mentioned, is kind of back into old patterns and old habits. And it's often a source of pain and loss and struggle that, man, I, I everything was so clear in that moment when I was taking psilocybin or something. Like it was so clear and it feels so distant now. What happened? Uh, so if you don't put in the work to carry it forward, it is more likely to be lost. Yeah. And that brings to mind um, two points. You know, one I'm sure we'll explore at a later date because it brings to mind for me, because so much of this is unknown uh, clinically and best practices wise, so to speak, you know, like how much are, you know, we think of, and, and a lot of times the model for psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is, you know, a few sessions, preparation, integration, kind of, you know, therapy during before and after, but you know, how important might we find that um, booster sessions might be, you know, periodically over time because the vibrancy of that experience does fade over time while it does have lasting effects. And we have tons of evidence that has la- you know, lasting effects, certainly more so than uh, any other drug treatment. Like it has these lasting effects from, but you know, might there be a place for, you know, booster sessions? Uh, you know, might there be, you know, we're squarely talking in the territory too of things that are able to improve life for people who may or may not have what we currently uh, categorize as a mental illness. Like, you know, being, more in touch with your values and orienting more towards what you most care about and living a life of meaning certainly transcends any little concept we have of a DSM diagnosis. So that, that'd be something, you know, it just kind of gets with the format of, of treatment might be, and also the scope of, you know, who this is good for and who should have access to it, but also to, to, to be a little more specific again about committed action. I'm going to go back to sort of a, a root metaphor that we have been using and it's a common one and it's my favorite, you know, in sort of that the, the act world to use when talking about committed action, which is really, if we go back to the idea of a map, right? And, you know, in a map, we're trying to, you know, maybe we want to determine a direction for our life. That would be our value. You know, like my, you know, we want to, I want to head, you know, north. We, we have this experience of, you know, during a psychedelic experience, it's really meaningful and, and, and we choose a direction. I want to go this way in my life. It's more, it's important that I, I move, you know, in the direction of these um, really rich, meaningful relationships. That's the direction I want to go. So that would be like, for instance, pointing north, that direction is where I want to go. Now that's pretty abstract. You know, when we think about, okay, you wake up in the morning, how do I, what, what am I doing? Uh, you're just looking around you, which way is North? I don't remember. So what our committed action does is it essentially gives us waypoints. We pull our compass out and we look at it and we pick a point on the horizon, that tree over there. Like if you've ever navigated, you know, you look at the compass, you find you line up North. Okay. That's my value. It's going that direction. I see that tree. My goal is to get to that tree. I'm aiming for that tree. 
that's a committed action because that tree is going to help me move north. So the tree in and of itself isn't the value. Like it's not what's important. It's just, it's helping us. We think that if we try this, it's going to move us in that direction. It's sort of a hypothesis. I think if I aim this way, it should get me, help move me in the direction I want to go. Now it could be that I start walking in the direction of that tree and there's a giant ravine and I have to adjust my path. And so then I'll do that if there's an obstacle or it could be that it's slightly miscalibrated and I have to recalibrate at some point and find another tree, but we need landmarks. We need things to aim for. We need ways to translate a value into doing something. And, and those doing some things, you know, we have to keep those in, in context. It's not the thing that we're doing. That's important. It's the process by which that helps us serve what's most important to us. So I just wanted to tie that in because we've we've used that the map metaphor so liberally today that you know I think that that's another metaphorical way of of it differentiates a little bit between values and committed action and also you know helps us understand what we're referring to with those two processes. Yeah, and that brings up one of the the traps of values. The common pitfall is as you sort of alluded to the beginning, we can get too distracted by thinking about what a value is, but values are found in behaviors. And so if a person doesn't know what they want to move towards, the the usually best thing to do is just to try something, pick something and try it and see. And because psychedelics help introduce novelty or introduce a sense of new things being possible, they're a great match for that process of exploration. Uh, one other thing I'd like to just bring up is a criticism that's made of psychedelics, uh, which I think has some merit in that uh, when we talk about having a transformative experience through psychedelics, that then you get in touch with what matters and then you go and you make changes and that's, that's, the, that's the best way, it can overlook the the contexts or the systems and and what i'm speaking about here are you know lives and systems that are oppressive disadvantageous to certain groups you know poverty authoritarianism and so one of the criticisms especially with bipoc individuals and the argument that we need to make this medicine or this treatment more accessible to um, underrepresented communities is that you know, if you provide somebody with a really powerful experience, but then they have to go back to their lives, which are tremendously unfair. And, you know, it's going back to jobs that pay minimum wage or uh, communities where there aren't jobs, especially in COVID times, uh, it puts, you know, we, we don't want to get into this uh, mistaken idea that all of the responsibility lies within the individual. And I do think psychedelics can illuminate values as we've been mentioning and can help us see how to potentially fix systems. So uh, I think that's just a a criticism of psychedelics that is important to mention. You know, it is uh, really important. And I mean, I think we can kind of, if you're in this world, I I think you can probably uh, identify, you know, that stereotype of the, Again, where I'm, I'm dangerously in the realm of stereotypes, I guess. But, you know, that young sort of white college kid who's just like, yeah, it's just all in your mind, man. And you can just change it by thinking about it differently. And while and, and we can get dangerously close to that, which is 
completely overlooks the context that you're mentioning of like, no, when you go back into your life, you're back into your life and the same forces that were operating on you before you tripped are still operating on you after you tripped. And those forces are powerful and are going to determine a lot of your life. Um, That doesn't mean they'll determine all of it. That doesn't mean that there's not room to see things differently and make changes, but it does mean that we have to honor that those circumstances are different for different people and that are, they're hugely impactful. And, you know, a psychedelic trip doesn't just erase those things. Personally, I see that less as a criticism of psychedelics and more an indictment of the culture in which we live. But I think the point is really important, you know, and so how do we, when those circumstances are highlighted, I think it's incumbent when you see them clearly uh, that we're also aware of and um, make efforts towards ameliorate the conditions, not just help somebody see their conditions differently. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. It's, it's, it's probably more a criticism, not so much of psychedelics, but of how they're talked about potentially or how they're viewed. And, and so again, emphasizing the power of context is something that we don't want to lose track of. Um, and as Nate mentioned, both are true. There's the individual and then there's the context. So I think that sort of, um, I mean, that brings us around, right? Like that's the six core processes of ACT. We have contact with the present moment, diffusion, deliteralization of thoughts, uh, acceptance, self as context, values and committed action. And all of which together, when we work to sort of loosen each of those processes up to be able to experiment, to try to expand our behavioral repertoires, to loosen up each of these processes, we're, we're really serving is sort of the over goal of psychological flexibility, you know, or another word you could use would be adaptability, you know, our ability to adapt to circumstances, to adapt, to change, to adapt, you know, instead of becoming, you know, to rigidly adhering to the rules of life that we have created in our minds that are not necessarily correlated with the actual rules of life. They're just the ones that we've created in our minds. So instead of operating and following those, which would be behaviorally inflexible, we're able to actually see, learn, and adapt to the world around us, uh, which makes us psychologically flexible or adaptable, you know? And, and I mean, adaptability is sort of the essence of life. I, I, I mean, I, I think it's almost not an exaggeration to say that. I mean, that's what life does. Life adapts. And if we lose our ability to adapt, if we become rigid and flexible and cannot adapt, you know, then we are not, we are handicapped as a a living, breathing being if we're not adaptable. So that's sort of what we're serving with these um, processes is we're building psychological flexibility, our ability to adapt to circumstances, our ability to adapt to our life, while at the same time, continuing and maintaining some continuity of our sense of self, right? Our values. This is what's important to me. I'm going to adapt, but I'm not going to lose touch with this sense of who I am and what's important to me and what matters, you know? So it's not infinite, just adapting without a center. It's knowing what's important and adapting that to uh, circumstances. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. The evolution piece is a big part of the ACT community. And over the last decade, there's been a lot more of incorporation of evolutionary science uh, into contextual behavioral science. So I think it's good to mention that 
the, the, the overlap between the idea of psychological flexibility and the idea of adaptability. And so, yeah, we think ACT is a great model for understanding the psychedelic experience or describing it, as well as a great model for the, the ther potential therapy that occurs before and after a psychedelic experience. Uh, so it's not I'm not saying it's the best model or the right model, but we think it's a helpful model. It's already been used, as we mentioned, in uh, some of the clinical trials. And we hope over the course of this podcast and future episodes to continue to explore ways in which psychedelics and the ACT model can work together to move us towards more meaningful lives. Absolutely. I think that's a wrap. Absolutely.